You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lal, and I'm joined by Mike Newton, who's a portfolio manager and director wealth management within Scotia Wealth. Mike began his career in the financial services industry uh, about 26 years ago in 1992, and he develops comprehensive financial plans for clients covering investment, insurance, tax, and estate planning. He's also a frequent guest on BNN Market Call, where he takes viewer emails and calls in a live format and has been featured in the Globe Mail report on business as well. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Raj. So let's get started. So what encouraged you originally to get into the financial services industry and become an investment advisor? That's funny. It's sort of a backward story. My true passion was I uh, wanted to be an architect, actually. And uh, I was at University of Toronto, and uh, unfortunately, given the environment, the university was going through a little bit of funding difficulties in that area, and uh, I switched over to the Economics Commerce Program. And the rest is history, and uh, as serendipity would have it, I ran into um, a lady who ran the HR department at one of the uh, early independent Bay Street firms, and, uh, and here I am today. So given that this podcast is uh, directed towards innovation, what kind of innovation do you think has has taken place within the wealth management industry over the last decade? Oh, it's been incredibly rewarding for everybody, um, investors, clients, myself, um, even my team, and even the company I work at. And I would say the real enabling factor of that uh, experience has been probably the predominance and complete reworking of technology in our industry. Um, the mobility of our industry, the ability to work from anywhere on several different platforms has been quite rewarding. And uh, not to go here too quickly, but the the absolute buffet of options where to invest money has been quite exciting, not only through mutual funds, but also the advent of hedge funds, alternative strategies, and then, of course, the ETF space has been um, a phenomenal new menu of choice for for everyone so it's been great how are you finding the level of sophistication uh from investors perspective and what are some of the common questions you're getting from them these days um well it's interesting there's a couple of there's a couple of things that come to mind um probably most importantly in the last 10 years we all had the uh global financial crisis of 2008 and that was a resetting on so many different levels. Um, level one being what is your manager or what is your portfolio manager, your mutual fund manager, what are they actually doing to protect you? Because, you know, we really didn't, uh, you know, it was always in theory but never really in practice. As I've always said, uh, I always love that quote is everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. So 2008 separated the, you know, the 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 men from the boys, so to speak. In addition, um, it's been a long time for people to let go of that uh, situation 10 years ago. Um, there's still a conversation every day about, I just don't want 2008 to happen to me. So luckily, I've adapted my uh, management style um, with how I deal with the actual money. We've actually looked at financial planning 
um, and we've looked at the downfalls of tracking an index. I could go on for that for some time. Uh, the indices are obviously something that we need to keep our eyes on as managers and as clients to sort of do some benchmarking because we need something. But their construct is actually pretty poor. So it's it, it, nobody wants to lose 42% in a given calendar year, um, but unfortunately we know that that um, is a necessary evil for long-term returns. So what I've said is I, I feel like we live in a tension between what we all grew up in with the buy and hold, Warren Buffett, long-term, long-term beat into our heads, but there's a tension between that and being tactical. And uh, I think that's where, A, uh, the best portfolio managers shine. Uh, and I think if clients can understand that there are angry environments and times when you don't really necessarily need to be in the fight all the time. So I've been a bit more tactical, I would say. And then second, uh, the fee revolution. Um, you know, there's um, there's a real, um, real strong due diligence done by clients on fees now. And I was reading a study that 100% of the net inflows in our industry, uh, nine of the ten top funds have been low-fee, you know, S&P 500 tracking indices. And then everything else has been a, a bit of a net detractor. Are you finding that people are focusing more on process uh, and plan and less on, uh, sp you know, specific periods of time performance? You know, absolutely. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that, um, you know, sort of the arcane sort of um, what I call the relic of asset class investing, you know, we were taught to diversify between asset classes and taught between, you know, different geographies. I think now um, there's a clear understanding that the correlations, and this is through technology, as well as through you know the, the, the lightning speed of the internet, correlations between markets and asset classes have become very very tight, and I think the new paradigm is a diversification amongst portfolio strategies. So it's not unusual for me, as I said, I'm sort of an active manager, and I truly believe in what I do on the active side, but I do have a healthy respect for the passive side. And um, I'm not afraid to marry them together, as well as uh, accommodate some private equity and alternative assets as well. So when you're going through a plan for individuals, what you're effectively doing is you're taking a look at their risk profile. You're taking a look at, obviously, specific areas. And are you relatively agnostic to the end structure uh, that you're using? So if you determine that you want to have X percent dedicated, allocated within a client portfolio to Canadian equities, uh, then you're going to go out there once you've decided as to, you know, what the best proxy is for you. And it could be ETFs, it could be mutual funds, or are you actually making a conscious decision right now to start integrating more ETFs, for example, into your practice? Well, it, the big change now, if I were to look at my career and divide it into two halves, the first half was all about product and all about performance. Um, you know, we, we, you know, and I know there was the financial planning overlay and, you know, if you provide great service, your clients will stay, but it still was a product-led um, sort of paradigm. I would say now I'm really focusing on selling the outcome. It's a bit more advice-led as opposed to product-led. And third, I would say 
really what I'm finding across all spectrums is people are really interested in knowing what the downside is. Um, they're all, they look at these performances and say, yeah, no, that's fine and dandy, and um, it would be great if I could get 14.1% compounded. But what's the worst case scenario? And, and uh, like I said, the memory of 2008, although a decade now, is still really fresh in everybody's mind. So what I'm doing is I'm not as much worried what the tool is or what the toolbox that I have before me is I'm just trying to roll this rock up the hill uh, without any long, really, really big surprises or major blow-ups. And I've always said, you know, if I can limit my mistakes, and, th and this is the other thing, uh, Raj, is there's, there, you're going to see a lot more. There's a, there's a new best-selling book just released, and it talks about mistakes. And I've spent a lot of time studying the world of error and mistakes and the the ability to get off of a bad idea. Um, so instead of a pure investing mentality, I've adopted a, a trading mentality as well. So as I said, there's always that tension between the long-term investment fundamentals and then the tactical reality that's in front of you. And and you know we all have career risk. If you're if you're losing people money for an extended period of time, you may be right at some point, but you're not going to have a client to be right with anymore. Is that about relative or is that about absolute? No, you know what? This is this is again what I uh, really important is everybody's interested in relative performance when the markets are great, and they're only interested in the absolute loss when the markets get clobbered. Yeah. So you you really need to have a scenario where you're looking at, and this is sort of what I try to do, is I've always said, listen, I can pretty much control a minus 10, minus 10%. I can control a minus 9 or minus 10%. I, I think I can, but I can't control a plus 6 or a plus 20. Um, so I spent a lot of time trying to control that negative side of the equation. So let's let's shift into uh, ETFs. Uh, Five years ago, for example, uh, had you already started using ETFs, or is it a relatively new uh, area of the market that you're, or a relatively new structure that you're integrating into your practice right now? Um, no, I've I've been an adopter very, very early on. Um, um, really, as a function of, as I became a portfolio manager, um, I was starting to compete with my old paradigm. My own, I was basically in a in a competition with myself. And the mutual fund space was, and to some degree still is, um, I would say a little bit more on the expensive side, and certainly with what you see in, as it is related to the ETF space. So as a portfolio manager, outside of buying individual stocks, to express ideas out of my comfort zone or out of areas where uh, I had any expertise, it was obviously important for me to find plugins into areas, and I had to do so on a very inexpensive basis. So to be perfectly honest, it was really about cost first and plugging in something right after that. And the first place, really, Raj, that I started looking was in broad-based um, sort of international areas. Um, that was number one. And number two, an area that I actually – I'm sure I could be good at it, but I'm actually – to be perfectly honest, not that terribly interested in it, and that's the fixed income space. So those were my first two moves. Um, the fixed income space, for anybody that is a portfolio manager, knows that you know running a model portfolio for clients, it's actually rather difficult to go out and buy one-off bonds. I mean, it's not that difficult. It's just you're going to have different experiences for different times that clients are buying these particular bonds. 
So it was the it was the fixed income sort of laddered ETF space that I started um, using, you know, basically from day one. So let's let's stay on that because I think that this is an important topic. I mean, there are certain areas of the market uh, or certain asset classes, I should say, uh, that most people feel. Uh, they can get away with passive portfolios or a passive pure beta ETF. Then there's certain asset classes uh, where a lot of people gravitate towards active because uh, historically active has made a significant difference, whether it's in order to exploit market inefficiencies or or just basically have the ability to 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 navigate and trade within the portfolio. How are you coupling active ETFs with passive ETFs in your advisor models or sorry, your client models? Well, first of all, passive. Let's talk about passive for a minute. The, you know, I, as, as I've said, I'm not a big believer in um, just owning the index. Uh, I've, I've tried to convert, but I have a really hard time doing it. And, I, and I'm going to tell you why. In a nutshell, it's not everything you think. I think it's more behavioral in nature. I think that, as I've said before, uh, in theory, an index fund fits a rule, and a rule of low cost, long term, and I totally believe in that. The problem is, is that the reality of how you'll react around that is a much different thing. Um, and so it, it, it's a difficult longer term experience to actually get that index return because I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to ambush yourself when it comes to a bad time. And I think that's something that I have to continue, continually explain to people. And this, this comes back to, you know, uh, just as a side, my philosophy is that it's it's great to be in a great philosophy, but the ability to be comfortable in that philosophy and the ability to survive all kinds of market environments and thus have clients to be confident in what you're doing is actually more important than performance. If they can stick to a long-term strategy where I'm not losing them too much money, pushing that rock up the hill, they're going to do well. So, so the ETF space on the index level, I'll tell you where I would use an index fund. Um, and I'm talking about the broad-based U.S. index funds, is when I'm using it as a placeholder. So as a market is starting to, let's say, out of 08, 09, as the market is starting to come out of that storm and look a little better, and let's say we had some pretty high cash levels, I just wanted to capture the, the first movement in the broad index. So I would have bought SPY, for example, or even the Toronto ETF, uh, XIU. And then once the rebound was playing out and I started seeing where the leadership was coming from and what sectors were doing well, um, that's when I actually started getting back into some more individual stocks to start building out the portfolio. So I guess what I would say, Raj, is that the broad-based, say, U.S. and Canadian ETFs, I would use as placeholders until uh, my mind is made up on where and what I want to invest in more specifically. So that's, how, that's sort of the index side. Second, I still would use index funds for uh, a lot of what I do in Europe or the Far East or emerging markets. So right now I'm using quite a few emerging market ETFs. Um, they're all very passive in nature for the most part. And, uh, you know, I'm using that in that specific uh, spot. Then the third, I would say if we're going up the pyramid here, and this is where I find it interesting, and it's very exciting, but we have to be very careful, is that you can spice up the edges of your portfolio with um, some more exotic strategies or more niche strategies. And, 
you know, again, as I've said, you, you've got to make sure that it's a measured allocation. So, you know, what you're doing at Evolve, for example, has lots of great niche strategies. But I would be afraid if somebody were to use, you know, put their entire RST in one of your ETFs. And I don't think that that's what Evolve is trying to uh, sell or market to people either. But at the same time, they can be really, really opportune items to own. And so, for example, I'm using the uh, the Evolve Innovation uh, ETF wrapper, which is the symbol EDGE, E-D-G-E, um, because I actually really, really strongly believe that this is not Internet 2.0. Uh, this is not 2000. I think there's a whole slew of innovative activities that I, I just, I, I'm telling you right now, it's like whack-a-mole. I'm so excited about the things I keep seeing. I just don't have the time to, to pick which winner or which horse I want to be on. So when you created that product, and I know there's some in the States as well, I thought this is perfect because it captures what I think is a major trend, and I can buy it in one ETF. And on top of that, as a Canadian investor, I can buy it in Canadian dollars. I'm assuming you have a pretty wide spectrum of age groups for clients. Yes. Are you are you seeing? Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of studies that show that the older uh, investors call them, let's say, the silvers. Uh, their ETF adoption rate is a lot lower than, for example, the millennials uh, out there who tend to use ETFs as their structure of choice, uh, and also use them to kind of make a statement out there about a specific area of the market. It could be because of environmental or social and governance. Um, but when you're talking to clients about using ETFs in their uh, portfolio, are you seeing a, 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 a t tell me about the investor behavior differential between the older and the younger, if you're seeing one at all? Um, you know, this is always there's always going to be that that difficulty, uh, and I'm gonna th I'm thinking of a story. Um, I, was, I guess this would be quite some time ago, but I remember you know selling Microsoft to buy. Uh, Google, and I remember selling Walmart to buy Amazon. It's the first time in my life where I got quite a few phone calls. It was just a, you know, it was like it was like a groin pull for these people to see a the largest retailer in the world be replaced with something with a funny name called Amazon, uh, and even more pronounced with somebody using Excel spreadsheets and Microsoft Word every single day to see me buy Google, which was also a funny name. So, but. They all thank me now, and I think, you know, we really need to um, step away and, and really think about what the broader trends are. I will say that uh, we run model portfolios, and we run five of them, and they're designed along different risk spectrums. And um, But what I'm putting inside of them can often be very similar. And I've never really had anybody say, you know, why are you buying this or why are you buying that? Now, what I will say is that the millennials, ironically, without a doubt, and I learned this after the Christmas break uh, at the end of last year when everybody went away with their families, is the university, say, and I'm going to call them millennials or their early 30s, I think just about every single one of them had exposure to the cannabis sector. <laughs> and I and I would say that almost none uh, of what I would call the baby boomers uh, or older had very much exposure, if at all. And right. I think that was uh, probably the biggest wake-up call. 
is um, clients coming home and saying, my son who, you know, finally saw him after three months of university and little did I know that in his uh, online broker account he bought, you know, a cannabis ETF. So that was really interesting and a big wake-up call. Um, But that's where I think that um, uh, all of us on Day Street, Wall Street, is we we have to stay on our feet. And, uh, uh, you know, leadership comes from the strangest places and, and these trends. The millennial trend, by the way, if I can talk about that for one minute, I mean, they're a very large group. And they have different demands on our business. Um, you know, they're a bit more 24-7. They want to do things 24-7. They log in at 12 midnight and ask to change their address. You know, there's all kinds of things that we have to be on the, the uptake for. But they certainly are more aware of ETFs um, by a long shot. But what's funny, though, is that ETF and passive index sometimes gets inter- interchanged erroneously. So, sort of my more older clients think an ETF means passive, means buying the index, and it means like zero fees. However, we know that it's a lot different than that. And uh, I think that we've got to be very careful because I think a lot of Canadians think the word ETF means passive, um, and that's not the case. Definitely. Uh, most people don't understand uh, that there's different, uh, different options available to them, whether it be passive or smart beta or active. Uh, so to close off, Mike, uh, this was interesting. To close off, what are your what are your big predictions over the course of the next few years as it relates to the financial services industry, and do you see any big disruptors uh, taking place in it? Well, the I don't think anything changes in um, I, I don't think the advice channel will change dramatically. I know that there's a big move towards you know, robo-advisors and and, uh, digitally uh, encoded portfolios that change with time, you know, know, a portfolio that reallocates ETFs as you age every five years. You know, I think those things are for real. But I'm going to tell you again, I still think that when uh, 2008 comes, um, the the fear and greed pendulum will swing, and no matter what robo-advisor algorithm is in place, it's going to be nasty. Um, So I am... Unfortunately, waiting for that to happen. As I've said, I still think investing is almost more behavioral than it is scientific. And I think uh, the ability for an advisor to manage an outcome and help people stick to a strategy that they believe in is going to be really, uh, really important. I will say... So do you think that given we've had obviously the longest bull market in history, do you think that what that's resulted in is a lot of people kind of strain off of their plan or their strategy and starting to just, you know, chase returns and products, and if and when we do have a significant market correction, it'll reemphasize the need to have an actual plan and potentially more gravitating back towards the full-service investment advisor? Yes, and complacency is set in place to a degree, but but what makes me comfortable in this environment right now, Raj, is that the real stuff, the real quality stuff, is still still. I think I know there's a lot of arguments that the U.S. is overvalued, and you know I see articles. You know I got to move to Italy, got to move to Spain, got to go looking in emerging markets. That's fine and dandy, but the real quality stuff to me is still hitting on all cylinders, and it's these little sort of sort of uh, on the edge tertiary stuff is obviously getting a little hoppy, whether it's the cryptocurrencies or whether it's the cannabis phase. Um, you know, there's going to be winners and losers out of it all. It's not going away. I think it's for real. Um, but, no, I think 
I think the pendulum will swing back. I just don't I don't think it's as crazy out there as you think. I think ninety percent of assets are managed very intelligently still, and I think of all this stuff on the side, the cannabis, the crypto, um, quite frankly I still think is really limited to certain little sectors of, of investors, not broad. So I don't think I really don't think if something happens in that space that it, it, it is contagious over to the other areas. I don't think at all. Um the second thing I will say, though, and I don't, don't think anybody talks about it, is distribution is going to be a complete change than what we think. You know, there's nothing to say that you're not going to be able to go to Amazon and go down to their uh, Vanguard ETF page or Snapchat's BlackRock page or Google getting into the space of distribution. I don't think they're interested in the manufacturing, but I wouldn't be surprised if they become a new distribution channel. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Mike. That was great. All right, Raj. Great talking to you. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.